be respectful your rules, your expertise, your experience, but just improve little by little, little by little. And you need to understand that the patience is very important. So if you want to be the best bartender in the world in four years since you started to washing glasses, you are in the wrong career. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is Tristan Stevenson, your host and guide. Today, I am speaking with Agostino Parone. Ago is a multi-award winning bartender and has headed up the Connaught Bar in London for over a decade, which has recently retained its number one spot at 50 Best Bars, though this episode, as you'll see, is recorded a few days before that announcement. On this episode, we discuss Ago's early years in hospitality, his experiences arriving in London, early mentors, the development of the Connaught Bar, and Ago's wider philosophy on hospitality. Needless to say, Agostino is one of the biggest names in the industry, but as you will see, he is both humble and personable, and I'm grateful that he could take the time to have such a broad-ranging conversation with me. Enjoy. Okay, I am joined here by Agostino Peron. Welcome, Ago. Ciao, Tristan. How are you today? I, um, I need to correct you. It's Agostino Perrone. I missed the E, E off the end. See, every day is a learning uh, no, day, no. and I, it's been a while since I've been to Italy. It's been a while since I've seen you, and so I need picking up on these uh, things. Perone. Perone, yeah. I'll tell you what, I miss Italy. Um, I haven't been for oh, two or three years now, and it's my favorite place in the world, bar none. Um, I came across a quote recently. I think it's from an Italian composer, um, and you might know who, who the composer is, and the quote is simple. It goes, you may have the universe, but Italy is mine. And uh, it just summed it up for me. It's nice. paradise on earth, in my opinion. Um, do, do you miss it? Do you go back much? I go back much for work, not as much as I should for pleasure. Mm. Uh, it's my bad. But uh, when I miss the landscape, I miss uh, my friends, family, the things that we don't have here, uh however if i go on holiday it's fine uh but after uh, a week or a few days i start to feel the need of uh coming back to to my life uh, which is in london yeah sure somehow i know uh, i really with the with the years passing by definitely when i go back to lake como where i'm from and uh, i go to the places where i used to go when i when i was teenager um, before uh, moving to London, and I stand there or sit there, just looking at the lake and listening the the sound of the water is a uh, is a very special uh, remedy. So I miss the nature definitely of Italy, but I like London for many other things. So I'm uh, I'm still not old enough to <laughs> to go back. Let's put it in this way. But you plan on retiring there one day, maybe. That's my plan. I don't know about yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Retirement definitely somewhere uh, surrounded by nature would be nice. Italy or Mexico. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, either of those would be good. I mean, um, but for food-wise, you're definitely sorted in both of those places. And drink, for that matter. Um, mm -hmm. Neither of them are lagging mm -hmm. behind in terms of sort of culinary achievements. Um, so you're from Lake Como. When, how long have you been in London for now? When did you when did you move over? 
I moved in London in February 2003. Wow, so we're coming up to well, 20 years uh, now. That's uh, not, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be 19, 19 years in February. Wow. So, yeah, long time. And uh, the Connaught uh, is uh, 13 years. Yeah. 8, 8 2008 was the opening day. Well, I remember so the, being the year in... that passing by really, really fast. Yeah, I remember being in not long after you started your time at the Connaught. Um, we'll get onto that actually, but first of all, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about how your career in hospitality started? Like, were you were you working um, when you were back in Italy? Did you train over there? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, for um, for Italians, uh, working in hospitality as uh, is a natural matter for uh, two reasons. Uh, one is that, uh, you know, we like to stay with people. Wherever you grow up in Italy, a small village or big city, you always have some uh, staple that you need to respect as a family tradition and then become friends tradition, like uh, going for aperitivo after work or uh, pretending to go to church and you stop by the bar in Sunday morning all these kind of things that uh, make you grow up surrounded by people and uh, interacting with them, exchanging ideas and be curious about what they do and how they do it. And then there is the culinary aspect as well, that uh, pretty much everywhere in Italy you're surrounded by some, some local delicacy. For me, the, um, the, the flavor aspect has developed without uh, me realizing. My, my family is from Puglia, from South Italy, and uh, I was born and grew up in, uh, in Lake Como. Every summer we were going back to, to Puglia to visit my grandparents. And my, my uncle used to have uh, a farm you know, with, uh, with the fields, uh, growing grapes, uh, watermelon, tomato, all this kind of fruit and veg. You know, as a, as a joke, uh, we were going to help to do the harvesting, to picking the tomato and you know, helping climbing, uh, climbing on the on the fig tree and to pick up the the fig when it was the, the ripest of the ripest of the season, getting stained with the raisin or the fig tree, and understand that uh, you need to be careful because it's very itchy. So somehow. Every summer for me was uh, a kind of uh, getting connected with those uh, natural aromas and, and flavors. Then, you know, you become a teenager, you start to stop uh, going on holiday with your parents. And uh, I regret the part. But, and that's where I discovered probably uh, uh, a little bit more. I uh, start to discover the uh, world of uh, booze, of uh, alcoholic beverages, as we do when your parents make the mistake to leave you at home for summer holiday with your friends. Every parent makes that mistake at some point, right? I mean, it's just a rite of passage. That has <laughs> you, to will, you will as well. <laughs> I will as well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, think I, still I think I still remember what was the first uh, mixed drink I made at home that uh, I don't want to recreate. <laughs> but uh, I remember the ingredients because I still have the flavor, the flavor in my mind of the day after. And uh, so... I, you know, I'm very passionate of photography, Tristan. Yeah. And this one came really somehow when I was uh, very, very little, seven, eight year old. 
And this passion of photography always stayed with me. When I went, when I started to to go to secondary school, studying for uh, being an accountant. So if you give me numbers now, I run away because uh, I don't know why I apply for that uh, for that uh, school. Maybe to please my parents. But I did enjoy it, but at the same time, I had an amazing teacher. That was one of those teachers, like in the movies. He was a life teacher. Funny enough, he was the accountant teacher. So the main, uh, the main, uh, you say the main, uh, um, the main tutor? Uh, topic principal of, of, of the school. Yeah. The main tutor. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was very bad. I was very bad because I wasn't studying. I didn't like it, but somehow he liked me, and um, I still in touch with him after twenty four years. Can you imagine? Because he was giving he was giving us a life lesson. He's a Taoist. He's the the, the first man that introduced me into into martial art as well, into Chinese martial art, such as uh, Tai Chi and Qigong. It was giving us a lesson from from a Confucio book, and somehow he always encouraged my passion for photography. Maybe it was a way to please me, to keep me focused, and to don't let me get too much distracted. And um, he gave me a book with a sentence on it that says, uh, "If someone indicate the moon, is not a finger that you need to look at." But it's the moon. Mm. I don't know exactly how it's in English, but I'm sure if you if you Google it, you find it. And it was very intriguing for me because uh, I understand after the he meant to look up for uh, what you want in life, and uh, and not what for other people telling you that you should do. When I finish, uh, when I finish, uh, uh, when they let me finish uh, school. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted I wanted to be independent right away. I didn't want to I didn't want to study anymore, but I wanted to be a photographer. So um, I start to work in a friend's bar in Le Como in the Como Center because I wanted to pay my study. This bar it was amazing. It was a classic uh, coffee bar. We were doing breakfast in the morning, uh, aperitivo before lunch, light lunch. A coffee service in the afternoon and then uh, aperitif uh, before dinner and then closing. And in there, uh, for me, it was uh, mind-blowing from different uh, uh, aspects. One was, uh, you know, uh, working surrounded by people and uh, being in contact with... Uh, Como is a, is a kind of a wealthy little city and it was more uh, 20 years ago. And... Uh, Cafe Broletto is the name of the bar, um, was the name of the bar. It was right of the, um, the Como Cathedral. So it's uh, surrounded by the most uh, uh, fashionable shop, uh, mm. the best offices. So it was all people that uh, for a 19 year old were very fascinating because they were 40, 50, 60 year old with a life experience. And they were telling me, oh, can you imagine me at seven o'clock in the morning? I didn't know to make a cappuccino. And they were asking me a glass of Marsala. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? But in the same time, it was very intriguing because they were telling me about their experiences in, uh, in uh, you know, 
Japan, in Cuba, in London. And I, my curiosity for, uh, for uh, travel, as it was uh, the discipline I wanted to do, travel photography, it started to be ignited even more. And then you pick up bottles from the shelf. You know, apart of the classic Italian aperitif, but you start to pick up whiskies, which is very strong in Italy, and rum. And then 24 years ago, Tristan, we were the only bar in Como to have lime one day a week. <laughs> so if you were making, if you were making Caipirinha, you were already a pro. Yeah. But very much a pro. Uh, we received the first uh, Peach uh, schnapps uh, for making uh, our replica of the Sex on the Beach. So we mm. were we were at this stage. So you start to learn about classic cocktail, about fancy cocktails, all this uh, willingness for travel and discovering the world, uh, discovering new culture and new and new places. You start to be pleased with uh, you know with learning about spirits, about cocktails. It's it's a p- big part of the job, isn't it? That I don't think is necessarily recognised by people who haven't worked in hospitality, but there's no real other profession where you are every single day meeting dozens of strangers and engaging in conversation with them and learning something about them and giving something about you to them. And then, as you say, there's the the cocktail and the wine um, and the drink side of it as well, which also kind of allows you to travel um, and learn about other cultures and and you know, about the way this has been made and why it's made differently. So every sort of moment um, of every day, you are, you're in that bar, you're traveling outside of that bar through other people's experiences and through the products that you're serving. Yeah. And the amazing thing that uh, you realize that uh, those people, they give you everything. They really open up. It might be the strength of the coffee, or the, or the, <laughs> or the you know, the, or the gentleness, uh, the gentle truth of, of Martino Venegroni. But they really give you their life. You know, they, they want to share, and you be you really become the you know the keeper of this. No, it's not the secret, but oh, of their personality. And it is something that when if you stop one moment and you think about it you realize how lucky we are to do this job. You know, now I am in a five-star luxury hotel, but I did uh, all sorts of bar experiences before. So coffee bar was my first experience. Then I did a discotheque, a club, uh, other strange places. And then I came to London. Um, but despite the place where you are, if it's a fast pace or slow pace, uh, morning, evening, late night, uh, you always have this interaction with people and they give you, they put themselves in your hands, not only for you making cocktail to them or pour the best wine or the best whiskey, but in terms of interaction. And, and generally, you become more curious about life, about uh, where, what the people are doing and where they're coming from. And then you build up a lovely network, a genuine network around you that make you feel uh, satisfied. Yeah, I I think um, in a way it's a bit it's uh, the conversations you have are a little bit like a podcast. Um, working a shift on a bar yeah. where you know conversation is encouraged and people sit at the bar and it's I mean hotel bars, hotel bars where you can sit at the bar. A classic example of this, you know, often people there are transient and moving through, and they sometimes are on their own as well, so no one else to talk to. 
And so they sit, it's like a confession booth, though not sort of negative and, and you, know, you know, asking for forgiveness necessarily. And yeah, they share their thoughts and you end up having a conversation with someone who you don't know about a topic often that you don't necessarily know about um, in much the same way as like listening to, to a podcast on, on a new subject. And bartenders are kind of going through this process every single day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You need to know how to hold the space as well to kind of, you know, listen to people, be curious, but also don't get attached too much. Mm. Because uh, you might find yourself to get uh, to want other people, other people's life. Because, I mean, talking about about you know, the people that travel the world, that can afford everything. And if you start to compare yourself with those people, it's, it's a danger zone. That's why I always suggest uh, to have a routine where you stop and you realize uh, how lucky you are to do, to be the center of the attention in the sense, and to be a reference. That uh, is, is a privileged position to have. I think that's I think that's really good advice because um, I, I think everyone who's worked behind a bar at times has thought. Oh, wouldn't it be nice just to be sat on the other side of the bar tonight and, and, you know, be the one ordering the drink and, you know, not caring about all these checks that I've got to, you know, make. And, yeah. you know, that table over there where, you know, the woman's in a bit of a mood with me and uh, my manager who's, you know, expecting me to do this and that. Um, it's very easy to kind of <clears throat> look with rose tinted glasses onto your guests and say, exactly. I want to be in their place. In the same time, you don't know what's going on in their head, no, <laughs> if exactly. uh, they're in a good place or not. So, but anyway, go back to flavor, Tristan, because uh, I talk a lot and you do, and we got lost. It's the <laughs> first time that I need to. Thanks for keeping I this need on to track. Discipline myself to go back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Usually, it's the other. Usually, it's supposed to be you to keep me on track. Uh, so when I moved to London, I, I, I trained as a bartender, working in places a lots of a lots of months for free in bars where I thought that uh, I could learn from the person there. So I had the opportunity to work in uh, popular bars in Milan, but somehow I didn't want to be in fashionable places because uh, everything was given for granted. And I was, I don't know, I didn't felt that there was the this thing that uh, mm-hmm. is the called genuine passion, yeah, the mindset. So I went to work in small places outside Milan from people that I thought I could, le- I could really learn on a personal level and professional level. So I trained about classic cocktail. And uh, again, up to the time when I came to London, I thought I knew something as soon as I landed, I understand that uh, it was a completely new world, completely new world. Uh, I forgot to say that uh, I trained also as a flair bartender. So... Right. Um, Many people think uh, I was born with a tie and suit, but in reality not. Uh, you met me before <laughs> as well. Uh, I even came second to a national championship of um, tandem flare bartender. Oh, is and, that what you do uh, it with someone else, I, is it? Chuck bottles to each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I almost reached the final for uh, for the national league of uh, flare bartending as well, but always becoming second in all the regional finals so i never reached the 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 grand final that was when you were uh, still in italy yeah uh, yeah i'm still a bit gutted but uh, it's okay now well, it's, it's never too late my Martin. it's never too late yeah, but now you know? everybody wish to 
everybody wish to have my martini move at the moment. So <laughs> that's it. I think there's a... <laughs> oh, don't worry. That'll, that'll wear thin eventually. When we've all had enough of your martinis, exactly. you can just return to your, your... I mean, look, it's perfect. When you retire to Italy, if that's the plan, you just move back into the flair world. You'll be the oldest flair bartender in yeah, the world. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. There is still the, the the path in my garden where I used to train every every afternoon. And my neighbor was telling me, Iago, but what are you doing? What are you doing? So, yeah, this is, a, this is a new style of bartending. You know, you're still making drinks, but you're making uh, with working flair. And they were laughing at me, you know. And now when I go back to Italy, you know, they, and they see all the achievement they, they did in my life for uh, for myself, for Lake Como, for Italy, you know, they're kind of, uh, they're very pleased. And, uh, and uh, it feels very good, actually. Yeah. So when I came to London, Tristan, it was 2003. It was when uh, Milk and Honey was, uh, was uh, blooming, Lab was blooming, um, and that was pretty much it. It was a few places in, uh, in Chelsea, it was Eclipse, you know, Watermelon Martini and Passion Fruit Martini, which uh, I loved it. But the places to learn was uh, Lab and, uh, and Milk and Honey. Lab, very innovative. Super uh, uh, creative uh, is the place where you could see different uh, liquor from all over the world. All the latest trends they were coming to lab, yeah. and then they were spreaded in London and spreaded around the world. And Milk and Honey was the very very classic. And then there were a hotel bar which I didn't discover until until the late stage. Um, so when I worked in lab the first time it was January when I went to do the meeting for uh, for the job. In, in Chelsea, and I still remember, uh, still shivering, Dre Masso making uh, a blue blazer. <laughs> At the time we were making, remember with the balloon glass on top of yeah. the rock glass with hot water? Yeah. And put the spice inside, and with the orange zest, you could ignite more the flame. And I still remember it was fascinating because I didn't, never had a blue blazer in my life. You know, I even didn't know who was Jerry Thomas. You know, yeah. I was at that stage. So, uh, so my mind completely open, and then more well, also and more it's, it's, we I mean that's a classic to, cocktail, but it's, it's flair as well, right? So that's a kind exactly, of nice very much fusion flair. of where you were headed, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a flair with a classic uh, uh, approach. Let's put mm. it this way: it's not like you know, being uh, juggling with bottles, uh, but it's more uh, contained. It's theatrical, you know? you can right? Still use a, yeah. It's theatrical flair, exactly, exactly. So when uh, when uh, I opened this uh, place in uh, in Chelsea, uh, I didn't speak any English, so I still don't know how I could set up the bar. And uh, I still remember every single day the frustration when the order they were made not by computer as we do now, but by phone call, leaving a voice message. And you think that you order six bottles of uh, this vodka and three of the other vodka and uh, one kilo lime and three kilo oranges. But then when you receive the order, it's something that you have in front of you is completely different. And so you get very upset because is they don't understand. You, your English your wasn't order. good enough. But yeah. it was very, it was very, very basic. <laughs> so I think my, my beginning in London was kind of a diving in uh, very cold uh, water right away. It was uh, an awakening call. It was an awakening call uh, on the personal aspect and professional aspect. And I always tell everyone when they tell me, I go, shall I come to London? You should come to London. 
maybe it's not the city for you. Maybe you don't find the right place uh, that please you. But for sure, if you are intelligent, you learn something. If you stay one month, six months, six years, 20 years, you always learn something. Did you ever consider leaving London and returning back to Como? Was that ever something? Was Did you find it challenging enough that you're like, oh, I don't know whether this is worth attempting, you know, with the language and with the new city and with the caliber of bartenders and everything? You know, in the beginning, you're, you're very naive. You know, you, you, and that was 24, turning 25, so you can still uh, eat the world. And my plan was to stay in London for uh, six months, something like that, to learn a little bit of English, learn a little bit more the craft of uh, bartending, and go back to my easy, beautiful life in Italy. Mm. Because, you know, I had everything, I had nothing to complain about. Uh, and then we open in uh, in uh, in September. We open with Remasso. When Remasso opened, and they called me to be part of the team, Salvador and Amanda in Covent Garden. Yeah. Um, and there, when uh, you know, when uh, the dream to be part of uh, the elite bartender community, and uh, all the effort that you put to always be reliable and to be um present when uh, when there was the need to be present when the dreams start to come true and that was a was a it was an excitement that's very difficult to describe when your idol because the remaster for me was uh, was was my guru he called you to ask you to be part of his team we opened Sabra and amanda a very successful place um they gave me the opportunity to be more uh, to enlarge even even more my network, and really with Ray when we start when I start to be more uh, experimenting uh, flavors and aromas in a more uh, uh, controlled way because uh, he had a structure coming from lab and uh, and spread this uh, structure and creativity to us, and in that I realized that my sense of taste naturally it was good. Mm. And my sense of smell, my you know, my my feeling for flavor, it was good. And then well, I realized you're that it's because I mean, no, you're, yeah, you're not. it's not because it's not because I trained, it's not because I trained, but because I had this uh, database of flavor and aromas already in my in my in my brain, because of my past experience when I was a child going to Puglia. Yeah. yeah. You know, to close the circle of of uh, what we begin before. So when I pick up a tomato, if it costs one pound of tomato, twenty pence or five pounds, I know if it's good or not. If uh, when we were working with with new aromas, you can describe this combination of flavor with mu- much more complexity, and uh, and uh, and specific example that uh, the guest in front of you can recognize it. Without trying to be too, you know, too, too poetic about it, you want to tell the people what is in the drink and what it tastes like, or what, mm. sh- what they're looking for. And uh, I realized, I realized that uh, because I'm Italian, but because I was lucky enough to have uh, my family bringing me to Puglia every summer, that my sense of taste and, and feeling for uh, for flavor um, was there, but also the emotion that. Uh, I get every time that I connect to those flavor. Yeah, you know, sure. we always say that uh, aromas and taste they bring you back to to specific time and memories. 
the nostalgia yeah it does it's like that amazing yeah, that. scene in um you know the pixar movie ratatouille uh where the the yeah, evil yeah, food yeah. critic eats the ratatouille at the end and he's like you know hard-nosed severe you know cannot be tamed nasty guy and then he has that flashback to his childhood where he falls off his bike and his mother serves him this like mm-hmm. super simple ratatouille on the table and then he, he kind of you know he wells up tears form in his eyes or whatever it's super powerful but um going to your yeah, yeah. your point about um knowing flavor um and sort of having a reference point there I, I always feel it's a little bit like language um if you think you know there's 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 um if i if you, if you take a take a word um like um i don't know um laughter there's lots of different ways to say that same word okay but if you're not exposed to those words if you've never actually heard the synonyms then you wouldn't know that there are ways of expressing what laughter is in very different nuances and i think it's the same with flavor if you've only ever had a one pound tomato from the same place grown by the same person or from the same supermarket or whatever um a tomato is going to be pretty one-dimensional to you it's you're not going to have many different ways of expressing what that tastes like whereas if you've had the full spectrum of tomatoes i don't i didn't imagine i'd ever say that sentence um (laughs) if you pick if you pick up you know if you pick up the tomato by yourself and when you break the stalk you have this aroma that come through the snap and the smell and then you buy the tomato in the field uh, that's it yeah you cannot describe it or or even like um tomatoes in a greenhouse like the smell of tomato vines Mm. in a greenhouse is one of the best aromas in the world and Mm. that's something that you if you just pick up tomatoes in a plastic packet in the supermarket you're never really gonna ever be aware of that and so i just think um you know what your your exposure to a wide variety of food and drink uh, when you're younger and i think this goes for a lot of people who understand flavor well sets you up for you know a life that's rich with flavor and and the ability to manipulate it and communicate it yeah you have a great foundation of uh of uh, of aromas that uh, you can work on. That's then in London you understand how multicultural is, and you try different cuisine that uh, you never had before in in Italy. Even just talking about the classic uh, in Italy, you talk about Chinese Indian cuisine. You you always had the same restaurant with the same flavor. You used to. Now it's different, of course. And coming to London, I try delicious aroma, well cooked and. Uh, well executed uh, it was so enlightening it was uh you know uh, to be honest after uh, 19 years i'm still discovering something new every day mm. so um, no, it was very it's, ama- it's it an amazing city for food experience. and drink it's i mean it's one of the best mm-hmm. arguably the best in the world for food and drink and you know it's not because there's really any particular cuisine that's entrenched into the city like you might find with other cities around the world where it's like oh you've got to eat the mm, when you go there um it's because there's something from everywhere and usually there's someone or if not more than one person doing it exceptionally well exactly exactly and the care they have of the provenience of the product how they execute it and everything is uh is fantastic they do because of passion um not because they want to show off where many places hmm. um which is uh and they don't give in london i would say we because 
I feel a Londoner, we don't give uh, nothing for granted. Every day you need to, another tips for, uh, for, uh, for the young bartender listening. So once you find your own uh, uh, set of uh, skills and personality, you don't need to try to uh, be revolutionary every year and change completely who you are. Just use that one as a foundation and work on it. So be respectful for uh, your roots, your expertise, your experience, but just improve little by little, little by little, and you will grow for sure with your own personality and your own vision, which may will make a massive difference in the future because uh, you will be yourself. You, you won't be a copy of someone else or an attempt copy of someone else. Hmm. This is the style of drink that you create and the style of uh, uh, way that you behave, how you dress and, and everything. So being inspired is very important. And that's why Tristan and myself and you know people from our generation, we are here now. Is to inspire the, the new upcoming generation, right? But uh, uh, you need to yeah. pick up all a few things that uh, are suitable for you. You don't need to force yourself into something that uh, maybe is not for you, or maybe you are not ready for. So you, every uh, each of us has a different pacing of uh, development, and uh, you need to understand that the patience is very important. So if you want to yeah. be the best bartender in the world in, in four years since you started to washing glasses, you are in the wrong career. Mm, yeah, it's. I mean, that's really good advice. Um, I would say, especially in an industry that's moving faster now than it than it used to. I think um, maybe that's just because we're getting older that it seems faster. But you know, people move up through the ranks quite quickly in a lot of places, and. I, I'm not surprised, but I'm, I'm not surprised there's an appetite there because there's a lot more inspiring stuff going on now. And of course, we're exposed to it so much more easily. Um, but you, you, you have a quite a, a particular kind of brand that you have built over the years, a certain style that belongs to you. That, as you say, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, you know, look up to you and, and may indeed you know, borrow some of your um, brand characteristics and, and, you know, want to imitate your style and want to be the next Ago Perone. What, how, how, did, how did you go about developing it? When did you realize what it is? Have you realized what it is yet? Or is it still a work in progress? Uh, I think that generally speaking is always a work in process, but you need to know when you put the seed and when uh, the, pre the seed starts to sprout. And when you, you you start to realize that there is a foundation you put in the, the roots. As I said before, I've I never been the guy that uh, jumped into the fashionable bar to work with uh, because they were cool. always looked actually for the hard way. Going work for free in a very small little town where uh, the weather is foggy and and there is normal people going as a, as a guest rather than fashionable people. And somehow, I develop uh, something that uh, I suggest everyone to do, which is, um, you know, focus on your own vision. And focus on your own vision, it means uh, going back to what we said before, that uh, when, uh, well, when I moved to London, everything was new. And then I always uh, wanted to, I don't know, 
not being too much uh, distracted by what uh, what are the trends, what is the new upcoming uh, way to make a drink, and so on and so forth. You need to be in the network, you need to go around, you need to be looking at things and try things, but not because uh, a trend is very much fashionable, fashionable at the moment, you need to embrace it. Um, then when we opened Montgomery Place in 2006, it was the, when I, I even uh, focused more on, uh, on my own style. I understand that uh, the tip that uh, an Italian um, businessman gave it to me when I came to London, uh, he said a sentence, he said, Ago, maybe you can make good drinks, but London people want to talk. And when we opened Montgomery Place, it was a smaller place than uh, Dusk and Salvador Amanda. It was a more kind of speakeasy place uh, in between New York and uh, European style with a forgotten classic cocktail and uh, a revisitation of those ones. So in order to be able to um, share all the research that you've done and why you create those cocktails, you need to be able to communicate nicely you need to be able to let your passion transpire and the process of, uh, of, uh, of why you've done it. But also, you need to realize that many people, they go to a bar to have fun or to have a good time. And they don't want to talk about uh, the usual things, about the cocktail, about yourself and your flavor. They want to talk uh, for uh, themselves. And at the time, it was uh, when I remember, Tristan, when... Uh, Serving a Collins was already a great success as an upgrade from a gin and tonic. Yeah. That's the thing when everything started, 2005, 2006, when the Lonsdale was open, uh, Trailer Happiness, Montgomery Place, The Player, and Lab was still on, Milk and Honey. The Notting Hill was the place to be then, I tell you. It was just pumping. You had Lonsdale, Trailer Happiness, Montgomery Place, and um, Montgomery Place, then by Porto the way. Bello Star. Portobello Star, um, Montgomery Place, such a cool bar. Um, I only ever went two or three yeah. times, I think. Um, and um, just if I, if, great... I open my, if I will open my bar, it will be like Montgomery Place. Yeah, uh, it's, it was a great yeah. loss to London when that place closed because it was just the right mm. vibe, the right combination of great drinks, interesting drinks, but also you know, the music was pumping, it had an energy to it that you want in a bar, you know, everyone there is having a good time and, and, and there to have a good time. Um, just, a, just an amazing bar, yeah. Yeah, you have to know when uh, you have to keep it quiet and when you could, uh, you know, upgrade a little bit and, uh, and, uh, and raise the pace like on Saturday night. So focus on, uh, on your own style is, uh, is uh, what I realized that uh, it was my future. But naturally, not because I wanted to be Ago Perrone, but because I felt comfortable with that. I don't like to just replicate what other people do for the sake to look cool. I think you need to feel cool enough with uh, what you have and be proud of what you do. And mm. the people around you will feel that. Not only the guests, but also the team. So Montgomery Place, we were five, six people. And then I moved to the corner, we were 16 people. It was, uh, for me, it was a completely new experience again, a, a massive challenge. Working in an hotel, 
with a completely different structure and having a, a bigger team around me. Yeah, let, let's um, let's just pause there and, and, and focus on that for a second. What was the motivation for that move? Because it's quite a different bar. Um, and, you know, you're moving into hotel for, uh, by the sounds of it, the first time, um, or certainly five-star hotel mm. for the first time. Um, so how you, where did you come up with that you know that career move was it, is it does it go back to the thing like always be challenging yourself always be putting yourself in a situation that is a little bit difficult um it wasn't a very quick decision when santino uh, who was the bar manager in charge mm. of the reopening of the connot and the opening of the Connot bar contacted me he's a dear still a dear friend he told me i go you know the connot is a very traditional hotel i've only been uh, twice before when Brian Silva was the bar manager and when they called me to be part of this project uh, uh, I was repelled by the idea because I don't want to work in hotel because uh, there's too much structure there's too much of uh, layers of approval to do everything and I don't want to compromise my creativity my freedom but then meeting after meeting was like two months of negotiation almost I realized that uh, talking with Santino, that uh, drinks, it wasn't uh, the only things to develop, to to grow up as a, as a professional, but to learn something else. And learning something else was uh, being able to communicate with the people around you, to spread your passion, and uh, uh, to learn uh, a natural uh, way to communicate with the guests as well and with PR and with marketing in a way that you can really uh, allow your message to to be understood. Yeah. And Santino is very good with that. Amazing, amazing guy with people, with guests and, and, with, and with staff. And he told me, I go, I'll give you this aspect of myself, but I need your creativity. So if you put, uh, you know, the two aspects together, and there is a solid foundation. Then Eric Lawrence as well joined as a as a as a bartender in, yeah. the, in the team in 2008. So I think we were uh, we were an explosion of uh, excited young bartender with amazing creativity uh, that uh, wanted to do something in hotel bars that never been done before. Yeah, yeah. always uh, be, being respectful for. Uh, the tradition of our profession and the tradition of the connot, but be able to please uh, those uh, old school clients and at the same time make them curious as well as open uh, the opportunity for new generation. 2008 was when uh, the first iPhone was launched, when uh, Facebook started. And there was this other app I don't remember. Was uh, like the, the, the MySpace was it? Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Yeah, it was that. MySpace. Yeah, yeah, MySpace. So we had to look at the aspect as well of uh, what was happening in the world, and um, and uh, it wasn't easy in the beginning. The first two years, especially, were not easy because uh, you know, we were. Uh, under the spotlight uh, from the trade because we were trying to be revolutionary in, in a hotel bar and hotel bar with a classic uh, 
element. Uh, there were other rotel bar, very funky, like uh, the long bar at um, uh, what was the name? Sanderson. Uh, was the St. Martin's Lane. So they were a different kind of hotel, different kind of hotel bar, more more upbeat, more funky, were fashionable when we're in a very, very classic establishment. So with the spotlight, we were under the spotlight for the trade, but also from the people that used to come to the old American bar at the Connaught. Everybody, they wanted to have the martini in their own way because they, they were used to from generation, but you know, day by day, step by step, uh, we had to try to always uh, make them feel comfortable and make them be able to try the martini that we created yeah. for the Kono Bar, as well as the other cocktail. So the, 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 the success doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come in one or two years, but it's a journey that uh, you need to embrace and make sure that you always are focused on. Yeah, I remember um, that time very fondly um, myself. I was in uh, the Connaught quite a lot um, shortly after you, t you, you came on board and Eric was there in 2008 and um, drinking martinis from the trolley and generally marvelling at what I considered to be at the time and still do really um, to be the best bar in the world. And um, it, it was a magical time for me um, because I was opening my first bar in London as well. Um, and like you say, I think you're right in pointing out the, the iPhone actually as being a game changer really for cocktail, cocktails and cocktail bars and cocktail bartenders in cities all over the world. Because suddenly what was going on inside these bars was being exported out for other people to see. And um, I think that that gave license for us to be more creative with cocktails and to do, to do more with glassware, with garnishes, with service. Um, because, you know, people wanted to see this and they wanted to share it as well. And they wanted to have uh, the variety. Because when you go out, it depends on how you feel, what is the occasion. You want to go either to, to, to hotel bar or to street bar or to East London, to West London. And for us as a, as, a, as a professional, we need to be able to give this variety to, to, to our guests. That's why you need to create your own style. If you copy and paste what other people do, there is no mm. variety anymore. Yeah. So yeah. everything becomes flat and the creativity is, a, is a stuck. Completely. Um, so how have things changed then over the years? What's, what, is, what has evolved in there? I mean, my one, besides the martini trolley, um, which if it wasn't obvious already, is a martini mixed at your table with a select, an option, mm -hmm. different bitters as options, right? Um, you, you're still working yes. with, you're making your own bitters now. Is it Bob's? You're making your own, aren't you? Because it used to be Bob's bitters you work with, right? We, we work with Bob since uh, the time of... Uh, uh, I worked with Bob since time of um, Montgomery Place when he started as well his uh, his, uh, his business it was uh, Charles Vaccinate and myself that uh, we tasted his first bitters and then when I moved to the con not uh, uh, asked him to slightly modify the flavor that he was already making to be in the right dilution to be suitable for the martini mm. uh, now we have uh, five bitters 
three are bespoke, designed by by me, by us, and still produced by Bob. Uh, and two, they are, um, let's say, normal flavor. So I still work with him. For me, working with people you you rely on, and uh, there is this uh, natural understanding, is very important because uh, they will uh, help you to upgrade your uh, your style as well. So going back to what has changed, uh, how 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 my path is you know upgrading your style is always good uh they having a solid foundation so the bitter they were amazing we wanted just to give a, a different uh, nuances of flavor to our guests which are created with uh, aromas they are not very common or they are very close to our personal experience but only after a few years we were ready to do it there was no point to do right away to be very creative and and, uh, and uh, eccentric because it would result to gimmicky. Once you have the trust of your guest mm. and you are recognized as such, you can you can do the next step and do the next step. That's how we do every year where we create a new menu. We always honor where the masterpieces, which are the Kono classic, but and the other three categories of the menu that change completely they are uh, an evolution which is based on uh, of course our personal uh, inspiration the rest of the team support is very very key because we do everything all together and it's not one or two people deciding what what we do or what goes in the glass actually george and myself we give the brief to to the team and then we mentor them how to structure themselves to work for the new menu hmm. so they don't only they don't only feel part of it and feeling giving contribution so make them make all of us feel more uh, more uh, enthusiastic but also they are learning not only about cocktail but also how to structure themselves and uh, and i wish i had this uh, this learning when i when i was uh, young yeah you know? when I, i'm pleased to to be able to give to someone else um and the, the, the fashion of the cocktail has changed dramatically in uh, 13 years as uh, as we as we embrace the changes as well in the economy and also we add our own uh, trends which is important for us not to be to create yeah as i said to create our own trends not to follow the trends that are out there just for the sake of uh, being try to be uh, impressing uh, people yeah, I think there's a there's a um, uh, a tendency now towards jumping on the trends. A lot of bars will be like, right, that's a trend. We need to be doing it too. And as you say, if if everyone's following the same trend, then everywhere's the same. So where's the draw for you to come in and drink in that bar, right? But also, you need to understand what style your bar is and your style of of, of bartending. And the trend they need to be suitable for that. Mm. You know, you, you cannot be you know, too fancy in a classic bar or too classic in a fencing bar. You know, it, it doesn't match. You need to be able to be part of the atmosphere and the concept with your skills and your personality. And then there is the rest. There is the design, the music, the, the cleanness, um, the way how the way how you attend people. So we are part of it. And we need to be linked with uh, with it. 
Yeah, it's got to it's got to all gel together, right? I shouldn't feel like any one part is kind of like incongruous or weird or like, oh, that's strange. This is a this is a nice exactly. classic cocktail bar, but they're they're playing techno music, you know, um, or or you know, mm-hmm. or this bartender's like dressed really shabbily, um, not shabbily the wine, like shabby shabby shabby. <laughs> and uh, uh and yeah you know i'm a, i'm paying you know 25 pounds a drink and um you know the glassware costs 100 pounds a piece so what's what's this all about you know mm, exactly exactly and uh you know you need to be able to build uh, an amazing experience looking after many details which need to be unnoticed when the details are unnoticed is when there is more flow within the experience. Then when you pick up those details and you you, know, you indicate to, to the people, it will make more sense for them. Mm. To make an example, we created a cocktail years ago, it's called the Goodfellas, and we decided to, to hang the garnish, like it's a cherry. So we created, the cocktail is served in a wine glass with a chunk of ice, and we created a belt that goes around the, the, the body of the glass and hold a, a, a stick, cocktail stick with a T-shape and the chair is hanging there. The leather, which is the belt of the glass, is the same leather as uh, the sofas where you're sitting on. So if nice. you don't notice, you see a piece of leather around the glass, which is uh, cool because you serve... Uh, a cocktail chair in a different way, still being very minimal and creative without being too much extravagant. But you don't notice the leather where you're sitting on. But when we interact with you and uh, the cocktail uh, needs to speak by, by itself all the time, even if you explain it or not. And when the, 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 the guests become curious and start to ask questions about the flavor, about the inspiration of the drink, you, you can start to unfold the details. Mm-hmm. Each drink, I, I highlight this part. This drink, each drink needs to be uh, composed by the appearance, the the flavor and texture, which is uh, uncompromisable. So you can talk about that. But also needs to be the narrative, the inspiration it needs to be equal, interesting, and fun as well. You cannot be too much technical on the inspiration as well. Otherwise, you become overwhelming with too many technical aspect of the guest mm. so you need to be able to entertain in a fun way to make the people feel at ease and relaxed enjoy the atmosphere then if they want to know about uh, the technicality of the recipe and the homemade ingredients you are there to satisfy their uh, their uh, thirst of knowledge i think um there's something to be said for sort of having um information about a drink and when I say information, I mean, you know, everything about it, from the ingredients to the flavor to what, the way it looks, having it almost in like in tiers. So you've got like tier one, which is what it says on the menu and what they get given with, you know, no additional chat or conversation or information divulged. Then tier two is like, a, it's like a one minute elevator pitch about the drink. And then tier three is like, right, they want to engage in five minutes of conversation about this drink. And so, you know, there's been a tendency in the past for for bartenders to jump straight to the five minute and go, right, I'm going to tell you everything about this cocktail that you didn't want to know, um, whether you want to know it or not. 
Um, but exactly. being able to read the guests and understand what, how much information they need or want um, is, is key. And then having those sort of layered tiers approach to being able to, to actually deliver it. When, when uh, we built the first menu, uh, my tendency was to, you know, to, to do um, level three right away because I was eager to share everything. Yeah. But the GM was telling me, Ago, think you have uh, the classic uh, lift conversation. So when you're in the lift with someone and you have 30 seconds to let them know who you are and what you do and why they should buy the drink. Mm. This is an exercise that uh, really changed, changed the way how, how we approach presenting drink. Because yeah. also, you, you have other people around. You know, you cannot spend five minutes to each nah. drink because otherwise the other, the other guests, they will wait too long. They feel not looked after because you don't, uh, uh, you don't please them. And that's when uh, you start to get stressed because you can hold the room together. Yeah, my um, my my um, bar station at Pearl when we first opened um, was known as the dissertation station because I'd stand there and just basically talk uh, nonstop to whoever would listen about the drinks. <laughs> well, what you did probably in the beginning, guys, was a revolutionary to say that. Oh well, thank there you. Was I a, mean, there I... was a big. Uh... Yeah, thanks. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I I have a distinct memory of the first New Year party we ever did. Um, which would be about 11 years ago, I think. Um, and I remember you and Gabby turned up after midnight and the guys from the Savoy, yeah. which had just reopened, all turned up. And although we'd already kind of like had a lot of great attention and, and we were busy and we had, you know, great reviews and press and journalists coming around and everything, that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, wow, we've made something amazing because all of these people that I admire from bars that are legendary have decided to come here after their shift on new year. Yeah. And, um, it's one of my, that, that first new year party, um, with you and, and with everyone else was, is one of the fondest memories of, of, of running that bar. You, you had to look after the, the both aspects, you know, the, the, the creative aspect. So you went very, very eccentric, but at the yeah. same time, uh, it was a friendly place. You had good fun in there. Yeah, yeah, we did. So, and try inter interesting drinks. So, yeah, it's a perfect recipe. So, um, let's just go back to how the drinks have evolved. I mean, um, we, we talked a bit about the martini trolley. Um, what else is it that has changed over the years um, with what you're doing at the Connaught Bar? I think there are something, some drinks which are staple, and we kept it. as uh, Well, the Bloody Mary, you remember? Our Bloody Mary with the celery air. Yeah, it's still, uh, yeah. still a staple, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mulattarese, which is one of my drinks that I created when we opened the bar for a competition, uh, and a few others. But how the style has changed, you know, we, we uh, now we are a leading, we are part of the leader of this industry, but before we were led by other people. And uh, for me, like people like uh, Nick Strangeway is one of those ones that really changed the drink scene in London and in the world when he started to brought up the old school uh, British, British recipes, mm -hmm. such as a shrub and sherbet. That was the stage that I think was very revolutionary. It was again 2008, something like that. And then when uh, each of us around London, around the world, 
really good uh, experience uh, those techniques and master those techniques is when you start then to evolve hmm. and you can be creative on that mm. so um, the way how the drinks are now they are less uh, busy in the glass for sure more minimal but doesn't mean minimal in flavor it means that you, you need with the minimalism you need to be able to deliver a, a more interesting experience so there is a something that we no compromise a part of flavor is a texture so every every drink like in food needs to have a, a texture that ex, is exciting on the palate so achieving a um a liquid which has a good viscosity it's very silky is already pleasant and allow the palate to be coated with the flavor mm. and all the flavor they stay on the palate longer therefore they develop there are two aspects in the flavor profile that we're always looking for one is the comfortable aspect so there are aromas that you can recognize so you want to enjoy the drink because they make you feel at home per se but also there are some other uh, hint of flavor that uh, you know it, but you cannot put the finger on it. So, but they are in harmony with the other flavor. So you want yeah. to go back every time to discover what's inside. That's something that uh, we discover slowly, slowly, and now is uh, really the basic step of our cocktail creation. Of course, we don't do any more uh, muddling and, uh, and blending because that's the style of drink that people enjoy more, but because more likely because we realize that uh, allow us to work more in uh, what is the, the the flavor and the aftertaste of the drink and also presentation is key because we wanted to create a drink that uh, it is pleasant only to look at i like the idea of um having flavors in a drink that are kind of discreet the hidden that you recognize but you're not quite sure what it is and so it draws you back it, i mean i get that with a wine a lot you know, when I find a wine that I really like, it's usually because, you know, it, it kind of hits the right sort of level of acidity or, or body or whatever, but also because there's something there that's familiar and delicious and it encourages me to keep going back to find out what it is. Um, and it's interesting to sort of hear about that um, concept in a cocktail. I mean, because in this way, it's not just the flavor experience that you give, but also you make, uh, you make people travel with their own uh, mind. Mm. wherever they want to go is up to them but you know the, the experience become more meditative more uh, more in tune with uh, between the drink and the drinker yeah sure so um we will start to finish this up i want to get a few kind of tips from you around this sort of performance flair that's become a signature of yours it's like five star flair has anyone ever called it that before that's quite a good way of describing it i think five star flair well, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it as well. Uh, you can, you. I'll license like that it. to you if you like. I'll, it'll just be a small monthly fee and okay. then you can use it. Yeah. Okay. Send me the contract <laughs> and uh, i look with my lawyers. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, so what, what are you sort of... And I, I don't want to ask you for tips for it because we've just you know, spent an hour talking about how <clears> you know, people have got to find their own path and do their own thing. But mm. if I was you know, entertaining some guests at the weekend at my house and I fancied introducing a bit of five-star flair into my, uh, my dinner guests' experience. What would be your kind of tips for learning how to do this? Sure. Very good point. 
I think that uh, you need to work on uh, the foundation of uh, staying with people. So uh, the training that we did in the beginning, uh, we, we still deliver now is uh, body language. So how you stand in front of the guest or in your living room. So you are confident and relaxed. Because when mm. you're relaxed, you can be confident and you can mm. uh, use more your personality. If we want to impress and use a technique that you are not very confident with, you end up to look unnatural, to look uh, um, clumsy, mm. and you cannot even talk nicely because you're too concentrated into making the drinks. So the step-by-step process is, uh, you know, work on, be aware of your knowledge and uh, work on how to deliver your knowledge with confidence. And, and the, the, the flair aspect, it's a training. You don't learn overnight how to- You gotta practice. Put yeah. a martini with elegance, you got to practice. So something that even even acting is a practice. You know, how you use the body language, how you project the voice, how you look at the people uh, is a practice. So I think is uh, there is no the secret, uh, there is no the, the pill remedy. You know, you give the pills and uh, you are a five-star uh, flair bartender. I think you need to you know, do the step-by-step. You enjoy your drink, is good enough. So ask your favorite bartender uh, uh, some tips how to improve the technique, how to make better ice at home. It's already a flare. It's already a yeah. flare. If you, have a, if you have a home party and you have a homemade crystal clear ice, you won already. Mm. Because usually normal people buy the ice from Delft license, which is a small lamps and very weak ice. Uh, and that is already... A, I just installed a Hoshisaki ice machine in my house. Um, for the, yeah, for the first time ever, I've been, something I've been dreaming of for 20 years, I now have a commercial There's ice machine <laughs> in, my, in my home. Um, because everyone knows so if you're when, making when cocktails, it? if you're making cocktails at home, you get through lots, well, you get through obviously lots of ice in a bar, but of course you have lots of ice available, but a freezer drawer full of ice is not going to be enough to make cocktails for six people times three drinks, you know, you get through so much of it. So it's a great um, privilege now to have ice on tap. So it's an excuse more to have a housewarming party for sure, and then more uh, house party. No? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well, you're I'm always waiting welcome for down the in invite, Tristan. You're always welcome down here. Uh, you know, welcome. I've never been. I've never been a really, 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 really wish to to go. So let's go through Christmas and maybe around March, April, we can plan. Uh, we can plan when it uh, gets a bit warmer and it's prettier down here. Exactly. Then uh, springtime's good. Come down yeah. with Gabby and um, we will enjoy cocktails made with my abundance of ice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look forward to it. Okay. Time for some quick fire questions. Question number one, your desert island drink. What, what, what drink? It doesn't have to be a cocktail. Any drink that you're going to, this is the only drink you're drinking for the rest of your time. Desert island, like uh, warm or cold? islands <laughs> it's quite cold at night but it's warm during the daytime oh, gentle breeze right. normally oh. obviously the sea no. yeah it's a nice place let's stick with water <laughs> desert island come on <laughs> let's be wise <laughs> let's be wise yeah. yeah it's probably the sensible option actually <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah if you want to survive um so the opposite question then which is the one cocktail you would first of all never order but never even like to see grace a menu ever again the worst oh. drink in the world Mamma mia, my, my, my brain is 
is overwhelmed now. I don't know. Uh, maybe there is no cocktail we name, but yeah, maybe we'll there is no cocktail we name. But when you start to see too many cream liqueur and and citrus inside. Mm. Um, so next question: um, you, you, You're going to sit only at one bar for the rest of your time, one cocktail bar. You've got a you've got a reserved bar seat there. Which bar is it? Anywhere in the world? Mm. I don't sit often at a corner bar, so <laughs> I stand a lot at a corner bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You can perch. You can perch. <laughs> I mean, it's a good answer. It'd probably be my answer as well. So that's fair. Um, and then final one, um, who is your, who would be your ultimate wingman? So you, you're, you're, you're tending a busy shift and you know what, you can extend this answer. So it doesn't even have to be a bartender. It could be a celebrity or even like a fictional character, dead or alive, whatever, but you've got this person you're tending bar with for, for a busy shift. Who is it going to be? I think they got to be one of the James Bonds because they're attracting cool people. So as a consequence, it's gonna be a good, uh, gonna be a good, uh, good yeah, duo right. behind the bar, no? Yeah, totally. And then you got security sorted for the night as well, exactly. in case things get a little bit out of hand. Because <laughs> he'll just pull a gun out. <laughs> right. One. I have one more question. But before I have a question, have a listen to this. Okay. 2010. Argo wins International Bartender of the Year at Towers of the Cocktail. Connor wins world be- World's Best Hotel Bar. 2012, Connor is the World's Best Bar at Towers of the Cocktail, Spirited Awards. 2013, in uh, 50 Best Bars, Connor is fourth place. 2016, at the Spirited Awards, Connor wins Best Cocktail Bar and Best International Hotel Bar. 2017, at the Mixology Awards, uh, European Mixology Awards, Argo's Bartender of the Year. Connor is European Bar of the Year. 2019, Connor is second place at 50 Best Bars. 2020, Best International Bar Team at Tales of the Cocktail. And the world's best bar, number one spot at 50 Best Bars. So, that's a pretty good resume. Um, I don't think there's anything left to win. So, it bodes yeah. the question, what is next? All... What is next? I think that next, uh, Tristan, is always... Uh try to be the best uh, for your uh, daily uh, life, for your daily guest. Uh, yeah, we won last year, uh, 50 best. We were, we were the only bar to be in the top 10 in the whole life of 50 best. So yeah. in 13 years, and in our life in 13 years, is a great achievement. Also, we won other awards, which are more lifestyle related, like mm-hmm. uh, GQ, Box, and Wallpaper. It's already a good balance there. At the same time, I think that uh, when you have uh, your bar full every day of uh, people that come in because of you and because of the drinks, is the best uh, is the best award that you can get. When you have people that are traveling up positively to London in the book room up positively at the Connaught Hotel to come and visit you, I think uh, you feel very privileged to be part of uh, those people happiness so what is next at Tristan is always uh, keeping the you know always, as I say straight up with style and don't forget the smile always uh, look up to to your path to your journey look around of course but don't get too much distracted because uh, 
you know, the awards, they are a part of the journey, which is great. If they are there, they are there. If they are not there, the journey needs to carry on. You need to keep on working because of your ethic, because your vision, because of your, your passion. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I know you and I know that you don't set out to win these awards. And nevertheless, you and the Connor are, you know, two of the most awarded entities in the industry. And it's done through that dedication, that treating every guest like it's your most important guest ever, making them feel special, making sure their drink is on point, it's executed in the right way, and making sure that every member of the team is reading from the same hymn sheet. There's another church analogy there, by the way. Um, and and I just think it's amazing, and it will be amazing for anyone listening to to know that that's always been your your modus operandi and to know that in spite of all these awards, it still is every single day. And I think there's a lesson there for, for anyone who's, who's, who's seeking awards and, and recognition that the, really the best thing you can do is just be the best bartender for that guest at that time. And whether the awards come or not, you will be awarded, you will be rewarded um, with the with the experience that you that you have and that your guest has and 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 their their return visits. Yeah. To to I can say the last quote on mine as well. To end up, always remember to put the right spirit in whatever you do. So spirit in cocktails, of course, but also spirit, which is the passion and the you know the attitude that you have in work and in life. Let's end it there. Ago, man, it's been so inspiring talking to you and great. To, not, we don't normally get this long to chat to each other, so um, it's just That's been wonderful yeah, to, cool. to have this time with you. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Grazie mille. That's it, folks. Except it isn't. Do keep an eye out for the Bar Chat Shorts episode with Ago, which has a few minutes of additional bonus content that you will not want to miss. And if you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events and inspiration. And subscribe to get it emailed to you.